show and welcome back to Grieving Well. Here in episode 5, we will begin chapter 3 of C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed. These past few weeks, as we've went through the first couple of chapters, we have seen Lewis at some pretty low points. We've seen him at places where it's not the kind of Lewis that we would probably set up in the pulpit. It's not the kind of Lewis that we would say, look at this, this is uh, where a Christian should land, but we have seen him in process. We have seen him, it's this sanctification, it's this we haven't arrived, we're on our way. And by the way, I'm not saying that uh, it's okay to stay there, but that is where so many of us are so much of the time, is we're in this deep need, we're living the need, we're living the need for the Savior. We are walking through this valley of the shadow of death. And that's uh, that's what we see with Lewis. And now, uh, in this chapter, we're going to actually get to see him seeing hope. We're going to get to see him as he glimpses that there is a better way. We're going to come back to that episode two, whenever we uh, began chapter one, and we saw Lewis there feeling like God had slammed the door in his face, had bolted and double-bolted, and then he could hear nothing, feeling like God was ignoring him. We're about to get back to that slam door with Lewis saying, actually, maybe there's something else going on there. So I've titled this week's episode, Feelings and Feelings and Feelings. First of all, it's a direct quote from Lewis, very poetic, but also it very well describes exactly what he's dealing with in the first half of chapter three as he as he tries to separate thought and emotion as he tries to separate the rational and the emotional. For those that have looked at screw tape letters or many other of uh, Lewis's works, we've seen that Lewis holds this view that Satan wins when we play by the heart only. In screw tape letters, you have an elder demon giving advice to a younger demon that, hey, if you want to win the battle with the Christian, number one goal for the demon is to get the Christian to keep them from thinking, to make sure that they feel, to make sure that they only feel. Um, obviously, as Christians, emotions, they're important. We see that with Christ. Christ was an emotional human being, but he didn't allow that to control him. And and in this chapter, that's what we'll be seeing. So let's start with this paragraph. It's only on the second page of the chapter where Lewis, he echoes Macbeth, saying here, feelings and feelings and feelings. Let me try thinking instead. From the rational point of view, what new factor has joy, and he says here H's death, but he means his wife joy, what new factor has her death introduced into the problem of the universe? What grounds has it given me for doubting all that I believe? I knew already that these things, and worse, happened daily. I would have said that I had taken them into account, unquote. So here we see Lewis, and, and again, I want to try to, as best I can, straddle and balance what we're dealing with here, This because as humans, we are emotional creatures, we are rational creatures, but Lewis feels like up until this point, he's been playing too much into the heart. He has allowed his heart, he has allowed his emotions to get the better of him, and he's saying, Instead of feeling so much, let me stop and think. And I love here, one of the first things he asked, let me get some perspective. In fact, he continues in the paragraph saying, I had been warned, I had warned myself not to reckon on worldly happiness. Very scriptural statement there. 
you know, here again, we can take this from the grief perspective. We can take this just as from the general Christian's perspective is we know, we know we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be entrapped by the world's happiness. We're not supposed to, we're supposed to have joy and not temporary happiness. He says, I know that I wasn't supposed to, and yet, and yet that's where I find myself. He says, we were even promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn, and I accepted it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for, unquote. And see, what we see there is Lewis saying, you know what? I was told this is the way things would be. And, you know, whether it's from a Christian perspective or a non-Christian perspective, hey, man, this is reality. This is 2020 even right now, right? I mean, we have some great times, but also we know, we know whether it's tomorrow or the next day or probably next Tuesday, but it won't be long until if you're on a mountaintop, there's eventually something coming. And some might say that's my pessimism, but the thing is, again, we we know that. We're we're not utterly alarmed, uh, and, and this gets into the way that Lewis talks about this, I'll paraphrase here, but he basically says, when this happened, when these kinds of things were happening to other people, you know, I was just thinking, hey, that's that's the way the world is, you know? So you turn on the news and you hear about some death somewhere, you hear about a murder and you go, oh, I hate to hear that, all shucks, and life moves on. But then when it hits home, then when it hits, when it's my wife, when it's my father, when it's my son, when it's my neighbor, when it's my loved one, when it's my job, when it is fill-in-the-blank 2020, whenever what it is happens and it's me, it's different. You know, like he says here, I knew knew this was part of it, and yet when it hit me, there's something different going on. As Lewis says, I thought I trusted the rope until it mattered to me whether it would bear me. Now it matters, and I find it didn't. Okay, and, and this, is, this is a really important element that we get in this chapter. As Lewis starts examining, up until now, we've seen a lot of uh, his talk about God and what kind of a being God is. And here we get really a healthier question, which is, who am I? What kind of man am I? What is my faith? Now, obviously, and this is even, this is Gospel 101. Gospel 101 is knowing who God is and knowing who I am. Well, up until now, a lot of Lewis's book was centered on who God is and can I, can I, can I pin the blame on him? As I record this, the most recent sermon at our church was uh, Matthew talking about Genesis 3, and it's, you know, <laughs> It's, it's something that we've heard a thousand times, but it just sinks in deeper every time I hear it. And it's, as Matthew was talking about, the blame game, right? You see that in Genesis 3. You see that in the story of the fall where Adam blames Eve, who blames the serpent. And it's, this, this is, there's this tendency to, please don't look at me. Let, let it be anything but me. And, you know, it's one thing for Adam to blame Eve. It's one thing for Eve to blame the serpent. For, but for Adam to have the gall to blame God, for him to say, Lord, it was that woman that you gave me. You know, that implication there that this is your fault, God. And that's what we see Lewis doing in the first couple of chapters, at least a fair amount. 
Now, as I've mentioned before, when those things hit, let's not brush them under the rug. When those kind of thoughts come, let's not just sing kumbaya and hope that it all gets better. I mean, you take that to the cross. You take that to the feet of God. But at the same time, if that's where we live, if that's where we walk, if we if we abide, if we make our home in the kind of attitude that says, God, how dare you? God, what kind of a God are you? Satan, I think, can very easily be at work there. You know, he can, That's that, that was one of Satan's number one tools in Genesis 3 is to shift. Uh, he did it, he did it before the quote fall and after the fall as well. He's still working at it. But the first thing he did is, you know, to say, hey, you'll be like God. You know, you, you will be above him. And then even afterwards, Adam is still usurping God's throne, or at least attempting to praise God that he can't. But he's attempting to usurp God's throne by saying, it's your fault. I'm not to blame. All right, I say all that to say this is what we start to see, thankfully, in this, in this chapter here in chapter 3 is Lewis, he's shifting his gaze away from trying to blame God. He's starting to see who he is. Because, again, Gospel 101 is recognizing God is holy and recognizing me as sinful. Nearly a couple pages later, Lewis brings this up by, uh, I'm just going to mention a few phrases that he talks about here, but he's, you can tell here that Lewis is, or has been, reading his previous entries in these journals and he says things like that he, he is a saner man than he was previously. He, ta- he describes his uh, previous writings as one of, of being like a man dazed, like a man who was concussed. And this is part of the grieving process. Uh, I want to go there for just a moment and talk about that. Part of the grieving process is, thankfully, <laughs> coming out at a point where you start to look back and you say, Okay, now I can think more clearly. Lewis, even later in the chapter, he says, you know, it's a little easier to see things when your eyes aren't covered with tears. And so through the grieving process, and it's, again, quite natural, and I would say there's, you know, to a point, there's even a healthy sense in which I don't believe that God uh, holds it against us so that there are times when, we, when we're not able to see clearly. I, I would say it'd be similar to, a person who is either having a seizure, someone who is sleepwalking, someone who has had brain damage, literal brain trauma, physical trauma. And when there are times when they do certain things where we say, okay, that's not held against them. They they weren't in their right mind. And in the grieving process, that can happen. Now, obviously, that doesn't always happen, but I'll share here a personal story. Uh, my grandmother that I lived with growing up, I remember when, uh, which she has passed away now. She passed away about seven years ago. And just a few years before that, my granddad had passed away. And I, I want to say it was something like maybe a week or two after he passed away, she called me and she was screaming. She was upset. And she, she was convinced that uh, my granddad had not died. Now, up until then, she had not had any kind of mental issues. And she didn't for years and years after that till she eventually had a brain tumor about seven years after that. But this one particular night, she called me and she said, he's not dead, his clothes are in here. You know, she she wanted so desperately for, for him to be okay. Now, had she done that when everything is going okay, we would have taken her to the doctor, tried to get everything checked out, but instead we said, you're grieving. You know, we knew that she was in such a state, she was so exhausted 
Uh, she had hardly slept in days. And so we knew that's, I say, quote unquote, all, but we knew that there wasn't anything more serious going on. So I say all that to say, again, give the one who is grieving, whether it's you or someone else, you know, a little leeway. It's okay. It's okay to freak out. That is okay. But again, what we see here in the midst of uh, this process, we see that there is a time comes when you're able to think more clearly, where you're able to look back and, and consider where you've been and where you are now. Different folks grieve differently, but for Lewis here, he even says that it had gotten to a point for him where it was hatred. He uses that word that as he looks back, as he says here, I was getting from it, from all the things he had been saying, the only pleasure a man in anguish can get, the pleasure of hitting back. As he goes on to say, telling God what I thought of him. And then he goes on to admit, not that what he thought was true, but just simply a way to offend him. Now, those are rough words. Again, especially as I mentioned before, from the guy that wrote Chronicles of Narnia, those are rough words. But I love this honesty. I don't like, obviously, I don't like him saying, I want to strike out against God. But having done so, I appreciate his honesty, his confession. And what, you know, Matthew tells us this all the time when we come to church, is we're not there to impress, we're not there to um, earn favor, to earn a spot before God. We're not there to do any of those things. We're there to come as we are. Yes, it's an old, and it may may seem cliche to some, but, you know, to come just as we are. Uh, we need not dress up. Now, I want to go a bit backwards here for just a moment because our main scripture that I wanted us to look at this week is one that uh, Lewis mentioned, and it's Matthew 5, 4, which uh, at, at Trace Crossing we looked at the Beatitudes uh, a few, just a few months ago, and he quotes the one here of, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And what I'd like for us to do is look at a grammatical issue with this particular verse. Is It's this, they shall be comforted. So when we look at the tense there, that shall be, shall be or will be, shall has a little bit more of a, of a sense of it will definitely happen. But either way, this is, this is future tense, and it doesn't say... It's happening right now. It doesn't say they will be comforted at that moment. And I think that's, uh, you know, that was difficult for Lewis. Man, it's more difficult for us today. I mean, <laughs> consider where we are in our, you know, microwave world, in our Wendy's drive through world, in our Amazon Prime two-day shipping. It better be here. I'm going to, you know, pitch a fit in our, uh, if somebody is, more than a second uh, in, in going when the red light turns green, we're going to absolutely have a meltdown. In the midst of that kind of world, it's hard to wait. It's hard to go through this process. And so back to talking about grief specifically, it is a process. It's not overnight. Miraculously, maybe there are times where people just all of a sudden, you know, snap your fingers and everything's better. But for the vast majority, including what we see here with Lewis, it's a process. It, this is not a an immediate event. Instead, it's, it's linear. It's not uh, punctiliar, which is to say it's not at a specific point in time. It may take a while. 
But, and this is the promise, you will be comforted. And there's something about that. There's something about knowing, about having this assurance, this gospel assurance. This is Jesus making this promise. This isn't me making a promise. This isn't, you know, somebody that's a little bit shady making a promise. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who died on the cross, and he makes this this promise. You will be comforted. You will be comforted. And, you know, you, you can't get a better assurance than that. The final topic that I would like to address this week is Lewis's understanding of God. As I mentioned, Lewis in this chapter starts to move away from putting God in some kind of box where we can study him. But he's, he, he, you know, he has been more looking at his, his own life, but he still is trying to grapple with exactly who God is, and he hits on some really fascinating stuff here. First of all, he makes an interesting analogy of uh, saying that, in a way, we as humans, or he himself, is is like a, a cat that is being worked on by a doctor. He says, of course the cat will growl and spit at the operator and bite him if she can. You know, if somebody's holding down a cat and performing some kind of surgery, the cat's going to do everything it can to get loose. And then Lewis says this fascinating statement, but the real question is whether, talking about the person who is operating, the real question is whether he is a veterinarian or a vivisector. Now, a vivisector, I mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts, but vivisection is when you dissect uh, a subject while it is alive. It's the type of thing that you would see happen typically with animals, usually with lab animals. They Sometimes there are operations that go on while they're alive or even while they are conscious, while they are awake. Let's see. Let's dissect and see what happens because, you know, hey, uh, medical science needs to go forward. However, you did see this as well in places like uh, in, in Nazi Germany with the Holocaust where especially Jewish people, sometimes others as well, would, would be dissected alive. And Lewis, he, he puts forward this understanding of what, what we need to figure out here is, so first of all, remember originally he said, hey, I'm not really uh, you know, sure, is, is God going on up there? Then he came to, I do believe there's a God, but is, you know, what kind of God is he? Here he's, he's saying, though, is, I know there's some kind of sovereign God at the controls. The question is, is, while I'm pinned down and going through the pain that I'm going through, is God, is is he vivisecting? Is he dissecting me? Is he just enjoying this? Or, and here's where Lewis starts to put in this possibility, could he be like that veterinarian? The operation that's going on with, right, with me right now, is it possible <laughs> that this pain that I'm enduring, that there's something good on the other side of it? In fact, he even, a couple of pages later, he draws the analogy to the dentist. He says, what do people mean when they say, I am not afraid of God because I know he is good? To which Lewis replies, have they never even been to a dentist? Now, I mentioned this previously on a, on a previous episode, but, you know, the dentist today, not nearly as bad as it used to be. You know, you can go in today for a root canal, and it's, it's not, not as bad as it was made out to be several decades ago, but still, it can be a painful thing. And yet, why do we lay there? Why, why is it that we will intentionally let this guy put needles in and, 
and drill away. And I know some of you out there are just cringing with everything you have and you can't even stand the thought of it. And yet we go willingly subject ourselves to that. And it's because we know the dentist is doing what's best for us. We know that the dentist, he, he is removing the bad. He is cutting away or drilling away disease and decay. That's why. That's why we go to the surgeon. That's why we do so much of what we do. And back to something, I I mention this all the time, but one need look no further than a woman in childbirth who endures it. Why? For the joy that is set before her. And Lewis here, he's starting to consider here, maybe maybe this God, yeah, maybe he's at the controls and maybe I don't like the pain that I'm going through, but maybe he's good. Maybe, maybe he knows what he's doing. As he says here, if there is a good God, then these tortures are necessary. In fact, Lewis says, in some ways, it's scarier to think of the fact that this God may be a good God. As he says, an evil God can be bribed. A morally, what we would consider a morally bad God, you know, maybe we can get around them, but a good God will only do what is best what is best for those who love him? Romans eight twenty eight. right? A good God knows what he's doing, and he cares for us. And I'm going to spoil next podcast just a bit here to whet your appetites for that because I'd mentioned, you know, Lewis again. He opens the book talking about this slammed door in his face, that God has slammed the door, bolted and double bolted. And I just want to read one paragraph here because I just can't stand not talking about this till next time. But he says, and so perhaps with God, I have gradually been coming to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Was it my own frantic need that slammed it in my face? And that's where we'll pick up next time and looking at the fact that uh, God, turns out he really is there in our grief and our pain and our sin. Even when it seems he has vanished, even when it seems our prayers and our thoughts are going no higher than the ceiling. He is still there.